We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Come on, what is up church? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to our first Wednesday service. And if we haven't met, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. And I'll tell you, tonight is going to be extra fun. And I can't wait for you guys to meet uh, a few dynamic leaders in my life. A little over, probably a little over 17 years ago, I met a pastor by the name of John Siebling. And of course, he had had planted this incredible church called Life Church in Memphis. And and maybe part of the reason why I loved him so much is that uh, my wife and I have always had a heart for missions. We never thought we were actually going to live in the United States uh, as we went through college. And and the Lord did kind of call us here. Uh, But there was this pastor, John and Leslie Siebling, who had been missionaries in Kenya, and they came back and, and launched this incredible church in Memphis. And I, I remember after meeting him, I'm like, Carolyn, I got to find an excuse to fly down to Memphis and just kind of get to know these guys a little bit more. And I, I can't even remember what it was. It was like a, a missions roundtable thing, or maybe it was a, uh, I don't even know what it was. I didn't even care. I just wanted to be, you know, sometimes when you, you, it doesn't even matter what it is. You just want to get under the anointing of a house. And, uh, and so I flew down there, and of course, uh, it was their Germantown campus in Memphis, and I just, I, everything was excellent. You know what I'm saying? Like, everything was like, oh, Lord. I, I came home from that trip, and I was like, they're just good at everything, like everything. And I, I just, I, I remember saying to my wife, like, Carolyn, someday I hope to have a church like Life Church Memphis. And of course, you know, they continued to grow, and then they added campuses and added campuses, and now they're running 10 campuses. They got campuses in Italy. They got campuses in South America, Boston, New York City. And of course, guess who's in the house? Pastor John Siebling is in the house. And wait for Francis, come on up. John and Wayne, come on up. Of course, many of you guys also know one of my other good friends, Wayne Francis. He's actually the lead pastor of the New York City campus of Life Church with John. They're together on a team, and I just, I just want to be adopted by you guys. I just, I just, I love you so much. Every time I hang out with you guys, I just. I just love you even more, but I, you're, you're our people. I, I just, even this last time, they had me down to do one of their, their staff things, and I'm like, literally, like, like their auditorium is like this, but just bigger and nicer, right? And I just, I just, everything is nicer with John, right? No, you're just, no, but, but I'll tell you what. So these guys have a podcast called Leadership in Black and White, and it is over one of the best leadership podcasts out there. And of course, they just came out with the most incredible book, God and Race. And you know what's so beautiful about this is that you guys individually, uh, you know, you're you're pretty good, but together, I, there's it's it's just another level. It's another level. And so, would you guys, wherever you're at, would you just stand to your feet and give a warm substance first Wednesday welcome? Wayne Francis, John Siebling. Come on. Let's go. Come on, Substance Church. Who's glad to be in church tonight? How about if we give it up for, come on, Pastor. Uh, Peter, he's, he's coming with me everywhere I go with, 100%, with no that question. kind of introduction. Yes. Uh, so, so great for us to be here tonight. It is a really, the, the, the truth is the honor is all ours. 
The worship was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You want to give a little shout out? Welcome, everybody. Pastor Wayne Francis. Hey, I love substance. Let's go. I want you to give it up for our host pastors again. Pastor Peter and Pastor Carolyn are great friends of ours. Yes. Love them so deeply. My buddy, Nate Puccini, shout out. Just Puccini, I love Let's the go. whole substance team. You guys Puccini. are awesome. Puccini, molto bene, bene, grazie. Yeah, that's pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> was that tongues or was that really <laughs> <It> was a... <laughs> Listen, we're so glad to be here. It's an honor for us to be here at your first Wednesday. And uh, we came out with a book about, uh, gosh, it's about five weeks ago, six weeks ago. Yep. Uh, Pastor Peter mentioned it called God and Race. Uh, the tagline is a guide for moving beyond black fists and white knuckles. Right. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, uh, this issue of racism and racial division is a big deal in our country. Um, in fact, Pew, Pew Research uh, just came out with a study not too long ago that said almost seven out of 10 Americans say that they're concerned about this particular issue. And I tell you, one of the things I love about Substance Church is this is a church that deals with the real issues. Can I get an amen from everybody? So, you know, when we talk about being a relevant church, right, that word relevant has been used a lot in this last sort of generation. To be relevant means to speak about the issues at hand. You're answering, literally, you're answering questions uh, that, that people are asking. And I think this is one of those relevant subjects. And so, uh, Wayne and I have the incredible privilege of uh, serving together, working together, and uh, we are honored to uh, be able to spend some time with you tonight talking about a tough subject. Absolutely. And uh, so, uh, everybody just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, right? Just relax. We're going to have fun. It's not uh, all intense, uh, though it is a very intense subject. Uh, but as long as Wayne is on the stage, how many of you know we're going to have a little fun? <laughs> Let's go. That's why I love to have this guy sitting right up here with me. And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to unpack some thoughts, keep your heart open, keep your, keep your mind open. And um, so we're going to talk about how this whole thing originated. Where did the series come from and the yeah. book and this whole Yeah, we need to deal. start with the subtitle. The subtitle is a guide yep. for moving beyond black fists and white knuckles. So we want to start off and say, we are not experts. We are practitioners in building diversity in our local True. churches. But it started off with this idea of doing a series called Black Fist, White Knuckles. Now, I grew up in the Bronx, New York, and when I was a kid, there was an accessory that every young black guy had, and it was this pick with a fist. I had more hair on the side of my head back then, right, you know? Right, right. Now I just do this. It's, <laughs> it's a vertical praise. But um, everybody... <laughs> Every one of us had one of these picks, and we'd rock it in our hair, stick it just right there, or you put it in your back pocket or in a T-shirt, and it was a symbol of pride, and it was a symbol of unity. It actually started during the medal ceremony in the Olympic Stadium yep. in 1968 when two athletes, African-American athletes, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, stood with their fists in the air, leather-clad fists, as an act of defiance to the racism that was going on right. in America during that time. And since then, the black fist has been a symbol of black pride and unity and pushing back against the oppression yep. of racism, which was at fever pitch in the 60s. And so when we talk about white knuckles, I think for us uh, that are white, it uh, represents the tendency that we have to try to hold on to yep. the past, hold on to past paradigm, past thinking, 
uh, past mindsets, past power, right. you know? And so uh, if, you, if, you, if you grip onto something too tight, the knuckles start to turn white. Right. And so we, we decided we need to talk about this and to move beyond black fist and to move beyond white knuckles to open our hands to each other and to be able to have good, honest uh, um, dialogue about something that's so important. Because how many of you know, if we can't open our hands to each other, we're not opening our hearts to each other. If we don't open our hearts to each other, we'll never be able to move on uh, from, you know, from so many divisive issues. And so Wayne already said it. I think it's, it's important. You know, we, we don't presume that one conversation is going to change everything. We don't presume that one book is going to change everything. This one might. And, and (laughs) (laughs) nor do, nor do we presume that the, the, you know, the black, white, um, you know, uh, tension is the only racial thing that we're dealing with in our country, but it, it definitely is the most fraught with pain and long-standing conflict, and um, we just want to have a conversation. And one of the things that I love about our relationship is we we can demonstrate. We feel like God has called us to demonstrate yeah. what a good conversation looks like, right. and what it looks like when you can open your heart to each other. And right. by the way, let me just do a little plug here for uh, um, something that we we put together along with the book, and it's a video curriculum. I think they're going to put a little uh, slide of it on the on the um, screen if you want to you know, screenshot that or something and take a picture of it or, or use that QR code. Small group curriculum, we're believing for a thousand churches across the country to use this particular curriculum. Wayne and I got together and we recorded sessions. And so it's just like, you know, 20 minutes of us talking yeah. and then, you know, some group discussion. There's a, there's a, you know, a guide that goes along with it. Yeah. It's re- something that we're really, really proud of. And we're believing for a movement, a movement of churches that can get together and yeah. get some small groups together and start to have this, uh, start to have this particular dialogue. As uncomfortable as it may be, yeah. uh, I think we do a good job on the video of breaking it down and, and, yeah. and breaking the ice. So maybe we want to spend a little time getting to know each other first. All right. We'll give you some background about us. Again, yeah. I grew up in the Northeast Bronx. I grew up like an African-American kid, but I had Jamaican parents, which is... A lot different. They don't call me Wayne. They call me Win. <laughs> Win at that volume all the time. Win. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and so um, in my neighborhood, it was um, very diverse when I was growing up, actually. There was a lot of, we had um, an Italian couple that lived next door. We had some Jewish people that lived next door. Down the block, there was some uh, Asian families. There was a Latino family across the street. It was a very diverse neighborhood. In fact, I have a picture, a class picture of me back in the 80s. There, there I am in the front holding the sign. Look at your boy's collar game, yes. Oh, <laughs> why, do you, why do you always got to be on the front row? Why do you- I always got to be up front, man. The collar game popping. So it looks like the United Nations, right? Like it's... I love that. It was a very diverse neighborhood, but it quickly became different with the introduction of crack cocaine. Mm. And so what happened was there was what sociologists call white flight. All the white people moved out of our neighborhood and we started to have very segregated neighborhoods. And this was actually my first time having exposure to racism. When we were growing up, there was a bus stop at Pelham Parkway in the Bronx that we had to walk to to take the bus to go anywhere practically in our neighborhood. Obviously in New York City, we didn't have a car. We took the bus everywhere. 
And um, I was walking to the bus stop with my mom, probably just a little bit after that picture. I was about that old. And while we were walking to the bus stop, there was a bunch of white kids on this um, sort of like a stone wall of sorts, right by the, the bus stop. And they were making a lot of noise. And the closer we got to them, there was a ringleader that was working them up. Wow. And it was the first time that I ever heard white people use the N-word toward me and my mom. And I didn't really know what was going on, but when we got past them a little bit, the ringleader of the crew picked up this large rock and he threw it at my mom and it hit her dead smack in the small of her back. And I can remember her wincing with pain and gripping my hand a little bit tighter. And she just looked down at me and she said, just keep walking, baby, just keep walking. And we walked to the bus stop. She didn't sound like a victim to me. It was more like she was a veteran who was saying, I'm going to the bus stop. And this idea of just keep walking profoundly impacted me because when the rocks of racism were thrown at me at different times in my life, I could hear my mom saying, just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep going, get to where you're going. And that was my first exposure to racism. Awesome. I love that story. I grew up in the South. I grew up uh, in Louisiana. Uh, my parents for, were from the North, so I really was an immigrant as well because <laughs> they immigrated from the North down to the South. Um, and actually, I think that was an advantage. My parents grew up in Wisconsin. I think that was an advantage for me because I, I feel like my parents did not carry sort of the baggage, the racial baggage that a lot of my friends did. Uh, from the South, uh, but I also have a picture of my fifth grade class. So diverse. Right here, look. Very diverse. <laughs> Not very diverse at all, actually. Uh, the only reason why this picture is diverse is because it's in black and white. That's the... <laughs> yeah, but Wayne, what... What, Wayne? What about this girl in the back row, third from the left? No, she got a tan. That ain't... that. that <laughs> She Italian. <laughs> she, actually, she actually is Italian. But anyway, that's me, number 42, on the second row. Uh, I, have, I have three older sisters, so uh, by the time I got around, my parents, I, I, I escaped on, on school picture day in, in a jersey, I guess. But, uh, so, but the cool thing about this picture is I'm there, number 42, and all the way on the same row, all the way at the end of the row next to the teacher is my wife, Leslie and De Benedetto right there in fifth grade. And here she is right here. Come on, stand up, baby. Stand up. Come on, stand up. Stand up. Wave at everybody. So uh, that's when our romance began right there in fifth grade. Uh, but uh, not a very diverse setting. Grew up in a pretty, you know, pretty uh, suburban, all-white uh, neighborhood and school. And um, I think my first... Wayne, my first recollection of, of racism, my first experience with racism was when my dad and I was probably about that age, mm. probably fifth grade or so, we were coming home from church on a Sunday. My sisters and my mom had gone home and my dad and I stopped at a place called Bonaparte's Fried Chicken. Oh, that just sounds good. It was good, yeah. So uh, Bonaparte's was a great, you know, great fried chicken place right at the edge of our neighborhood. And we went in, it was, I, it was the summer, it was hot outside, it's it's the South. The air conditions always struggle in the South, and it seemed extra hot. Uh, they were struggling. Yeah. Bonaparte's fried chicken was struggling yeah. that day. The line was to the door. People hangry. Yeah, people were irritated. And uh, they only had one person working at the counter, and it was an older African-American woman. And so uh, we're, we're in line. People are getting agitated. The guy behind us, an older white guy, is getting especially irritated and, um, you know, just kind of muttering under his breath. And, and, and so... Uh, after a while, he raises his voice and he calls out to the to, to 
to the woman behind the counter, he said, you know, something like, hurry up, girl. He called yeah. her girl. Yeah. And uh, my dad, who was a pretty mild-mannered person, uh, you know, he, he, he turns around, puts his hand up, and says, that's enough to this guy. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in fifth grade, right? Or it's like fourth it's a, grade. I'm looking up. I'm like, this is, it's about to be on. In it's Bonaparte's about to go chicken. down in Bonaparte. Yeah, it's, it's like a kid's dream, you know, because, you know, you're on the playground, and you're like, my dad could take your dad. And, and I'm, like, about to find out. Like, what? Thank God it didn't escalate, uh, but the guy behind him actually settled down, and, and uh, we get to the front of the line, and we get to the counter, and the woman looks up, and she mouths, you know, I can still see it today. She mm. mouths, thank you, to my, to mm. my dad. So mm. we get in the car, and, and um, you know, it's kind of innocence lost, right? Because it's like my dad then begins to explain to me how some people are judged based on the color of their skin. Right. And like you learned with your mom, one thing I learned with my dad is that there are going to be times in our life when we need to say that's enough. Yes. Times when we need to speak up and speak out against injustice and against, and against racism. And so uh, I'm glad we both were able to learn some of those lessons in life. And then we fast forward to maybe what was one of the most crazy seasons right. in in our in our country uh the current climate that we could talk about actually we could go back a little bit even talk about yeah. 2016 if you want to go there <laughs> <laughs> so 2016 y'all remember 2016 don't you very crazy political race and at the time i like to laugh a lot i like to find and poke humor somewhere and i decided i was going to press in to 2016 with a series called the oval office not smart <laughs> but it was about the heart. This it, was before he was uh, associated with the life church. Can I just say it? <laughs> I would have called him back off. Come back. I got, I got pulled back. So it was great. So in 2016, I said, I'm going to do this series about the Oval Office. And the most important Oval Office in the world is your heart. It needs to be governed by Jesus. And then at that time, it wasn't about politics. It was like trying to help people. I wanted to be creative. So I said to my team, we're going to, our church is just a little bit north of Manhattan. It's in Westchester County. I said, we're going to make some hats that say, make Westchester great again. And I'm going to preach about, let's make, forget about everything. We just need to make our county great. My team was like, mm -mm, don't do it. <laughs> I said, no, 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 we'll change the code. We'll do some stuff. They said, don't do it. Don't do it. I said, we're doing it. We're doing it. I got out on that stage like Oprah after preaching my message. You get a hat, you get a hat, you get a hat. Everybody gets a hat. People started swatting those hats like mosquitoes. They thought you were endorsing Trump, right? Yes. They, they, right, yeah. And I wasn't trying to come up. I was just trying to use a clever line to preach a sermon. It didn't work. No. That red hat was a, what is a polarizing symbol, I guess, and... Uh, and then you have like media, you know, and celebrities uh, who, who, and athletes, you know, they're speaking out and, and not to say that you can't speak out and, 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 but it didn't seem like it helped the situation. Um, but what it seems like now, Wayne, is that we can't even have really honest discussion. No, there's no, there's no, there's not even a chance to have a reasonable dialogue. True. Uh, if, if you disagree or if someone disagrees with you, you just get canceled. Yep. And, and so one of the reasons we wrote this book is so we can hopefully, and we address cancel culture and all that stuff in the book, is hopefully we can move beyond cancel culture yeah. and get to a place where we can have reasonable conversation. Now, 
In, in, in the event that there's one person in here who doesn't know what cancel culture is, why don't you define it for Let us? Let me just help you out by consulting the Urban Dictionary. Yeah. Cancel culture is when you decide that you're not going to listen to the opinion of somebody else because you are more concerned about the tribal, mainstream, or popular idea. And instead of listening to them, you cancel them all together. And it could be about race, gender, politics. You could get canceled for using the wrong word. We cancel people. We even cancel what, what, products. <laughs> products, I was going to say. What about this guy that went... This guy, this guy, the, the, the CEO of Goya who went to see Trump. Yes. And, and after the, the, he said something about. He I, said something pleasant like, thank you for having me at the White House. And it started trending, cancel Goya. Now, from those of you that have more melanin in your skin in this room, y'all know you can't cancel people seasoning. <laughs> Not for our chicken. No. Oh, Lord. At my stake, no, 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 no. You can't cancel Goya. I would have went to the supermarket, ripped off the label, bought it on the down low. You're not canceling my products. So. <laughs> the bottom line is, let's not be so unreasonable that we can't disagree in a civil yes. way. Can right. I get an amen from Yay, somebody in man. the church? And, and even beyond that, can we agree? You know, one of the things about Wayne and I is that we've developed a relationship. We, we've spent more time behind the scenes or backstage or building the relationship than we have in this sort of context. And so we have learned a lot from each other. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is so important is that you give people grace and, yeah. and, and, and are willing to give someone grace who may not know. Um, and so, so grace, 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 grace. And I think one of the things that if we could just maybe jump to this, Wayne, is some of the ground rules that we've established with our relationship. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about so many things. Uh, Wayne and I have this relationship where we kind of go, you know, we kind of go all the way with it in, in terms of discussion and we're not going to, you know, nothing's sort of off the table or taboo. Mm -hmm. And if we don't understand it, we're going to ask. And so uh, we've had so many good conversations, amazing conversations. And we kind of sat back and said, what, what's, made, what's made it work for us? And we yeah. established sort of some of these ground rules. Um, and I think these are worth really writing down, worth thinking about, like when it comes to, to discussion and... and, and con <laughs> I'm just smiling. <laughs> like something's funny. I don't know what it is, but... I'm sure it has to do with you. Um, so we wrote down some of these ground rules that really kind of, we kind of like, they were already there, but we sort of kind of yeah. sort of helped us identify them. And uh, so you want to. And we use alliteration there? because it's more powerful mm -hmm. when you use alliteration. Always. So they are listen, look, learn, and laugh. Let me start off with listen. Let's listen. Go. We have to listen to each other. And that seems like, oh, that's no big deal. No, but. So often we're interrupting each other. We're not listening. We're just in our own echo chambers yeah. hearing the same thing over and over again that supports our worldview. So we've got to learn how to just take some time to be silent and listen to what somebody else is saying. And then the second one is look to, to be able to, I think look has to do with respect, to be able to look in someone's eye. Obviously, uh, one of the biggest challenges with this past season with the pandemic is this isolation factor and you have people who aren't together and they're not connected together. And so it's so easy to jump on social media and fire off a, a, a thought or an opinion. 
uh, not realizing that on the other end of your, your social media feed is someone who looks different than you, someone you love. And right. um, so to be able to look into each other's eyes uh, when we discuss things yeah. and, and, and to talk, and I think it's, it's respectful. And then, and then uh, the other side of the look coin is to be able to look into uh, whatever it is the other person is expressing. I mean, right. uh, we learned this premarital counseling lesson I did 32 years ago uh, that you may not agree with what the person is saying, but you, you love them enough to respect what they're saying. And so you, you, you're all right, I'm going to look into what you're saying. If that's, if that's the way you feel Mm -hmm. and then learn is the third one. And, uh, Wayne and I've read books together and we continue to do that. I think it's great to do research. Uh, we, we have done staff diversity groups, which I think is so important. And again, let me just encourage you if you're part of a church, substance church or any other church, think about doing a diversity small group, uh, use that curriculum, that God and race curriculum. Wayne uh, is uh, funny on every episode. All right. Um, and then we have a podcast, just a quick little promo for a podcast yeah. that we do. It comes out every single Monday. It's called Leadership in Black and White. Uh, one of the goals of the podcast is to be able to talk about leadership, but also talk about diversity and race and different things like that. Yeah, and to do proactively. It on, to do it on a frequent basis. And yeah, you want to talk about that, the proactive side of yeah, it? Yeah, we don't want to wait till there's a headline or a hashtag before we talk about race. So I want to commend our pastors here, our host yeah. pastors, the Hasses, yeah. yeah. for facilitating a conversation tonight because every so often we just need to talk about it. When something's not in the media, we still need to be having these conversations. Yeah, maybe you could put that back up one more time for me. And if there's a QR code, if you want to take out your phone, we would love if you would take out your phone and subscribe or when you get home, if you don't have your phone with you, get back home and subscribe and, and help, help us promote this, uh, this podcast. And, uh, we're proud of it. I think it's making an impact. We're getting a ton of great feedback about it. And then we got the last one, which is my favorite, which is your favorite, my favorite. You got to laugh. I think we've lost our ability to laugh in our culture and laughing is a universal language, just like music. So I like to laugh about a lot of stuff. Sometimes I get in trouble. Like I'm not going to do what I did before. But I'll text. What did you do before? With the hats that we're oh, never okay, doing okay, that okay, again, okay, right? Okay, okay. It's done. Somebody write that down, please. <laughs> that was dope. But sometimes I'll text Pastor John with just like funny things that I'm observing in the culture around race. So you remember back in 2020 when the term Karen had meteoric rise to stereotypical. It's resonating with yeah, this crowd. Yeah, everybody's like, yes, right? But, the woman that always wants to speak to the manager, right? Like that, <laughs> that kind of stereotypical font of, of, right, of a right. person. I still thought it was funny because I was in New York during that time and there was what was called Central Park, Karen. Mm-hmm. Now she was in Central Park with her dog in an area where only people that are watching birds should be. And a black man asked her to not have her dog around the birds and she decided to call the police and she accelerated her voice. And she acted got like she was being attacked. Like she was being attacked. Yeah. I think this is hilarious. And I'll tell you why. If a black man is watching birds, he ain't a threat. <laughs> if he got on binoculars and know the scientific name of birds, oh no, girl, you safe. You safe. <laughs> I only know Rocket Robin. <laughs> tweet, tweet, elite. I mean. Oh, Lord. Uh, I've heard that so many times that I laugh every time you tell it. 
It's good that we can laugh. We need to laugh. How many of you know laughter, the Bible yes. says, is good medicine? Amen. And uh, we need to take a breath sometimes. It's what I, what I love about Wayne. And, uh, so how, how, about if we, uh, how about if we close things out and just kind of talk about some um, big picture statements, big yeah. picture thoughts that we, we put together uh, about racism, about reconciliation. They're simple. Pretty simple, pretty big picture, but I think they're important talking points, thinking points, praying points. I'll I'll run through a few, and you'll you'll jump in, and yep. then you'll you'll run through a couple. But um, number one, racism is a problem, and I realize that this is stating the obvious, but not for everyone, right? Because some people think it was a problem, uh, but it is still a problem. Yep, and um, it's a heart problem. It's a problem that really comes from the heart. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for many of us, we were maybe raised, maybe you were raised in a context where your parents were racist or they made racist jokes or, um, you know, commented on things. Your from, grandparents? Yeah, your grandparents from a, from a bias that was a little bit more, um, you know, racial and, and, you know, racial overtones. And so... In some ways, you know, you think, well, you know, that's kind of how I was raised. And those words like seed sown into the soil of your heart. Um, but we, we believe, and we're in church, and so we believe this, right, that, um, that someone's heart can change. Mm. And that that could have been something that was a problem for you or a way that you thought or maybe you found yourself, you know, judging people based on the color of their skin. Right. Um, but God can change your heart. Right. And so number two for us is that racism is a problem, but number two, the gospel is the solution. Yes. The word of God has the capacity to touch our hearts. You know, uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God can change someone's heart. Yeah. We lead a church in Memphis. Uh, Our church just celebrated 25 years, uh, 25 years in a city that has a lot of racial baggage. Mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis. Memphis is 68% black, mm-hmm. uh, 30% white, and um, 2% you know, Hispanic and, and, and Asian. And so um, we have a diverse church. Our church reflects the demographic of our city. And so I have watched people transform. Yeah. I think about a family right now, Wayne, who... Um, had a had some deep rooted racist thoughts, and um, and their daughter, white family, began to date a a black guy, and what a challenge it was for that family, and yet they opened their heart to him, mm-hmm. and they opened their heart to the to the Holy Spirit, and God did a beautiful thing and totally transformed the hearts of those parents, and that that they're married today, and actually on our staff, part of our staff. Uh, the power of God can change us. And, and, and really, when it comes to these kind of issues, we need the power of God to yeah, change us. Yeah. Um, um, we, we need to move beyond the, the shame and, and beyond the guilt because what does the power of God do? The power of God transforms us, right. reconciles us to him, yeah. and then gives us the ability to be reconciled one to another. And then another thought that just, you know, we should throw out, I think, right here is that the gospel doesn't bring shame or guilt. Right. It sets us free. Right. So 
the idea that um, white people should feel guilty for being white is wrong. The idea that I should be ashamed because I'm white yeah. is wrong. Yeah, yeah, no choice. It's not my fault I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> right? And 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 on the you know, on the other side, the the fact that a, a black person, an African American, should feel um, like a victim victimized, yeah. Is 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 not the gospel. The gospel sets us free. That's yeah. why we uh, don't um, you know buy into or believe the whole theory, critical, critical race, race theory. theory. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's a flawed theory. Yeah. And I think maybe there's some tenets of it or some parts of it that may have, you know, a benefit, but yeah. overall it's a flawed theory. It's not biblical. Yeah. We're, we're empathetic about anybody who wants to learn more or to look at history and peer in. Nobody's asking anybody to shut their brains off. Right. And there are some things that we all need to learn and acknowledge and so on. But here's the deal. In our culture right now, and this is for many of us today, we have to understand you cannot lift a theory above theology. So, so good Christian theology says that we are Christians and we have a Christ identity. So if you're black and you lift your blackness above your Christ identity, it now becomes idolatry. If you, if you lift your Latino-ness or your Asian-ness or your whiteness above your Christ identity, if you've made Jesus leader and Lord in your life, then that has become idolatry. And so we have to root ourselves yep. in a biblical, godly worldview that says our identity first is Christ followers. That's how we, that's where we start. Yes. We work from there. Beautiful. Number three, it's more than just a spiritual problem. Okay, so... Uh, the gospel is the solution to racism, but when it comes to racism, it's more than just a spiritual problem. Yeah. It's a historical problem. Mm. Okay, it's a part of our history. We can't just uh, look the other way and act like it never happened. Um, it's, it's, it's a practical problem. Yeah. And so, again, we don't support the idea that just one conversation is you just check it off the list. Uh, we've been a part of so many different, I've been a part of so many different racial reconciliation services Racial reconciliation, breakfast. breakfast. Yeah. And, and they don't never got eggs. It's always common and old cereal and stuff. If we're gonna we gonna reconcile, can we reconcile back to pancakes? Can we can we <laughs> Can we get back to the the important part of it? Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was triggered. So I have so trauma. Continental breakfast trigger. Yes. Um, so the reality is those services, I'm not saying they don't have meaning, right? but what ends up happening is the white people go back to the white church and the black people go back to the black church. And it was just, it was a, it was a ceremony, right? It right. Was, it's got to go a little deeper than that. Um, it's, you know, it's, com it's complicated, right? Yep. Yep. You know, I just lost my notes. I'm getting back to it. Talk among yourselves for yeah, a second. It's complicated. It's more than a spiritual problem. Number four is it's complicated. And, yep. and I just think the the idea of not being simplistic, I think, is really important. Um, it, it, it's, it can't be naive. Right. We can't be naive in our thinking and, and, and thinking that, you know, just one conversation, one service, uh, one event is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to change the game. Right? Everybody right. with me so far? Yep. All right. Number five goes a little deeper. Are we ready? Yep. Five and six, we're going to get a little more intense. I'm going to talk to the white people since I'm white. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as white people... Uh, I think we have to seek, this is very important, to understand and acknowledge the sin of slavery and the mistreatment of black people. Okay, 
and and um, which has which has resulted in a justifiable anger and a lack of trust in black people. Okay, this is a part of our history, um, and it's not too distant. Okay, we have great grandparents who may still be alive, grandparents mm. who um, experience things, yeah. and they're sitting around the table at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and our children are hearing that. And so um, I, I, I think um, one thing I've heard from white people consistently is I wasn't there, I didn't do that. Mm. Okay, true, true, uh, but it doesn't take away the generational impact that it has had. It doesn't take away the generational PTSD mm. and, um, and the work that still needs to be done. And here's what happens. When we say, well, I wasn't there and I didn't do that, what we're doing is we're blaming a previous generation right. and we're refusing to take responsibility for the current context. Okay, we may not have been, it, it may have been handed to us, but we received it and now we're responsible for this generation. Yes. We're responsible for the current uh, c context that we're living in and the fact that there is still work that needs to be done in the hearts and minds of people. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll black, take an amen yeah, after that. Amen. I'll take an amen. <laughs> We're going deep now. And let me speak to the black people here. Black people, in turn, have to forgive white people of previous and present injustices while also not harboring hatred and yeah. racism towards That's white good. people. That's great. A lot of people feel like black people can't return racism, but we actually can because racism is a form of hatred. It is... It's a form of, uh, of not loving a person that's made in the image of God. So whatever direction it moves in, it's still wrong. And so we can't allow media and extreme groups to dictate how we feel or interact with people. And so we need to be people that are constantly forgiving and loving other people despite some of the lack of progress we're having in some areas. In the book, we have a chapter where we talk about this slave girl in 2 Kings. She's nameless. We know she's pulled away from her family, yep. pulled away from her home, pulled away from everything that she knows, and she's in the house of her master. And the master's wife one day says, my husband has leprosy, an incurable disease during that time that affected your skin and affected your nervous system. And this nameless slave girl says to the, mis the, the master's wife, I wish you'd let your husband go see the prophet down in Samaria. He would heal him of his disease. I think this is profound. Because if I'm oppressed and I got the answer, oh, I'm not giving it to you. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what's powerful about this is that the nameless slave girl points her oppressor to the answer because she had a relationship with the God of Israel and that was bigger than the state that she was in. Yeah. I just want to say to some people of color in this room, if you know Jesus, our responsibility is to point people to Jesus regardless of how oppressed we may feel, regardless yeah. about how things are working, not toward our favor. If Good. we point people to the answer, God is going to do some big things. In fact, before you cancel me, because I know some of y'all going to cancel me, y'all like, I don't know if I like that. Oh. <laughs> I like, he was funny earlier. <laughs> we can cancel people. And here's how you do it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. You cancel them biblically. 
He, Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. We've got to follow the model of Jesus who canceled people the right way. Let's go. And then number seven, we finish with this thought. Unless we make a solid, intentional choice to repent, understand, reach, and love one another, we will remain divided. And I love those four words, repent, understand, reach, and love. You know, the word repent, I think it's a bad rap because it sounds so heavy and hard. But really, repent is a combination of two Greek words, metoneo, which means to change the way you think. And so I think many of us have an opportunity to get, you know, to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to confront our thinking. And then as we decide we're going to change the way we think, we're going to line it up with what the Word of God says. Right. Then it, it, it positions us, it pivots us in a, in a different direction. And when we repent, then we get the chance to understand. And when we understand, we get the chance to reach. And yes. when, we get the, when, we get, when we begin reaching, then we, we love one another. And, and it, it, it keeps us from remaining divided. Yes. Someone, someone once told me, Wayne, that, the, um, that maturity is, is really the acceptance of responsibility. Doesn't have to do with age. Wow. Doesn't have to do with experience. Wow. It's you grow when you accept responsibility. Yes, sir. And when 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 you accept responsibility for your life, for where you are, for your family, and uh, so I, I think it's you know I think it's significant. And I, I think one more thought, just as we finish, one little illustration that we like to do is this idea of perspective and seeking to understand. And so I, you know I, I've got a book, one book. I'm holding it up. Um, and, and, you know, Wayne's on this side, I'm on this side. So you, you tell me what you see. A nationally best-selling book called... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But, but what does it say? Tell me, tell me what it says. God raised John. Okay. Excuse me, wait for Okay, all right. So uh, what I see is I see uh, a, a statement how you can play a part in ending racism, and I see a picture of you and a, and a picture of me. And so um, the reality is we're looking at the same thing. We're just seeing it from two different perspectives. And it's, it's going to be impossible for me to see what Wayne sees unless I'm willing to get out of my seat and come around to the other side and try to take a look at it from, from his perspective. And I, and I think, honestly, if we could just let our guard down a little bit, and if we could just let our guard down a little bit and just try to understand and listen to someone else's perspective, I think it makes all the difference in the world. Come on, do you receive that tonight? Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to let us come and share our story. Wayne and I are going to be in the lobby after the service. We have books out there. We'll sign books. We'd love to meet with you and, and chat with you a little further about it. But uh, you want to take a minute just to yeah, pray, I want to pray for, for us. Here's what we'll close with saying. Diversity is not reserved for heaven. It's a requirement on earth. And I want us right now to open up our hearts big and wide. And I'm going to pray what Jesus prayed three times in John chapter 17. Make us one yep. as you are one as we are one are you ready everybody just open up your heart big and wide and we're going to worship again father in the name of jesus i thank you for your presence and your power in this room would you make us one as you are one would you make us a quilt of our diversity 
a fabric brought together by the love and the grace and the power of Jesus. And let us be an example to a city that has been hurt by the evil of racism. Let substance set the pace for racial reconciliation in this entire state. I pray for influence and favor from this night forth to continue and that you will bless us so that we can drag from heaven here to earth your plan and your will for all of us. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said... We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message. 